Welcome to Color Me Dead. This is a true crime podcast, and we talk about murder and fuckery most foul in detail while using the darkest of humor. If you don't like words like fuck and cunt, then you probably shouldn't listen. But if you do, then join us while we fuck your feelings. Welcome, 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 guys, and we are back with episode 125. Before we get into the meat and taters of this here episode, we'd like to invite you to join us on Facebook at the Color Me Dead podcast and the Color Me Dead podcast group. You can join us on Instagram and follow gory underscore Nikki or Color Me Dead Angel, and you can also join us um, at the Instagram page for the podcast, Color Me Dead podcast. If you want to be ignored on Twitter, please do so at Color Me Dead pod. You can find us on ageofradio.org, where we can, no, we cannot, you can listen to our shows, you can see our affiliate sponsors, you can donate to our Patreon, you can find different shows that are in our network. And speaking of Patreon, if you want to donate to our Patreon, you can go to patreon.com slash colormedeadpodcast, or you could just go to patreon.com and search Color Me Dead Podcast. You'll find our page. You can donate anywhere from $1 to $75. You get stickers anywhere. Stickers. You get perks anywhere from stickers to t-shirts to hoodies to what the fuck ever we decide to give out that day. But <laughs> donate every little bit of it helps and it keeps the show going. Um, you get your perks after three months. After your first three months, we'll mail it out to you. But from the beginning of your donation, you will get episodes ad free. Uh, if you guys want to send us anything, you can send it to our email at colormedeadpodcast at gmail.com or fan mail can be delivered to Color Me Dead Podcast, P.O. Box 1610, Vernal, Utah, 84078. If you want to get some of our merch, you can do that. T-shirts, more T-shirts, tank tops, cups, all kinds of fucking shit, all kinds of it at colormedeadpod.threadless.com. And before we jump feet first, I'd like to cite my sources. Uh, mm-hmm. This was done with the help of a book called The Evil Within by Darren Galsworthy. And uh, this gentleman is actually the father of the victim in this story. Um, there is also a link that you can follow called bristolsafeguarding.org. This is in regards to uh, serious case reviews. If you are interested, the one done on this little girl is Becky2018. Um This story is a part of Angel Me. This is a part of my uh, series of kids that were failed by the system. Now this took place, excuse me, I just took a rather large sour drink of my crystal light. Crystal light. Crystal light. This actually happened across the pond. So this is not local or native to the United States. This took place in the UK. Um, so for any of my listeners that are across the pond, if you find information that um, is feels incorrect, let me know. Um, but 90% of the information that, I, that I'm putting into these episodes came directly from the dad. This story is, is about Rebecca Marie Watts, who was nicknamed Becky. She was born June 3rd, 1998 and died February 19th, 2015. She was a British student from Bristol who was murdered at the age of 16. This is her story. Now, if you're squeamish, why are you listening to true crime? Let's be honest. Fuck off. Go away. This is your last warning. We're the gory gals. What else do you expect? Okay. If you're jumping in feet first and you're unfamiliar with our our content, 
Our uh, technique of delivering <laughs> details. You, you should know that I have a very perverse, dark sense of humor. Um, I curse a lot, and also I leave out nothing. If I find it and it's disgusting and it's horrible, I put it in the uh, put it in the episode. So I might leave something out if it has to do with Pee Wee Gaskins. That's the only time I've ever left, and it was just his wording. You know, and I'll give you that. Like, 90% of the time, I always put, like, whatever it is, mm-hmm. I put it out there. Um, if it makes you uncomfortable, that's unfortunate. You turned into a true crime podcast that has a, a pretty blunt disclaimer. Um, We're disgusting so if, bitches. What do you expect? I'm a disgusting motherfucker. Now, if there's something in here that you hear that you don't like, you should probably rethink your true crime listening. Mm-hmm. And there are other shows within the age of radio um, syndicate that you can listen to. But if you like the filth and you like the uh, vulgarity, welcome. Filth and foul and foul and filth. Filth, floor and filth. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so... This is how I generally start my my series. Like, if it's more than one episode, I give you a pretty extensive background on not just the person, but, like, their upbringing, their parents, all the things, okay? Normally, I would explore the many facets of the childhood of the parents and incorporate that into the sewed. But in this case, I'm going to give you, like, a rough breakdown until it matters. Not to be insensitive, um, but the focus of this piece is on Becky, not her mom and dad. Furthermore, the seriousness of this case was sorely overlooked to such a degree that it's still being investigated to this day, okay? Um, That being said, we shall proceed. Uh, Darren Galsworthy... uh, I shouldn't have stapled. I stapled. Uh, Darren Galsworthy grew up in Bristol and was born and bred. He was... um, he was, a, he was a kid that came from like a meager middle-class family that was no stranger to poverty and struggle. He grew up knowing what hard work was, strife, and strictness from his father. He was the firstborn in his family. It was not uncommon for his family to go without food or very little. His, mo- his mom, he later realized <clears throat> that his mother was an alcoholic. Um, I think that it kind of went overlooked um, in his childhood, but when he describes it in his book and we'll touch bases on that a little bit he started recognizing behaviors in his mother that were um, conducive to being an alcoholic his dad was a bit abusive Um, he was a very stern man and he had a lot of rules and a lot of expectations of his kids Um, and if those expectations were not met his dad was no he he wasn't shy um, with the belt Uh, He did grow up in what is considered to be kind of a rougher neighborhood. It was rat infested. Like the, it's, you know, the, the trash bins were always full. It was dusty. It was dirty. Sounds Um, lovely. Right. Darren had been, he had apprenticed in engineering and worked for a concrete and metal company as a younger man. His, uh, Becky's mother, Tanya Watts had met Darren in a pub where mutual friends had introduced them. At the time, Darren was 29 and Tanya was 22. When he offered to buy her a drink, it led to like almost an instant relationship. And, you know, because the beer, because beer is the cement of any solid relationship, you know, like you do, they ended up hanging out, hanging out, and banging regularly enough that children were produced, okay? 
First was a son named Danny who was born in 1995. The dysfunctional duo, Tanya and Darren, lived together in an apartment in Cadbury Heath. They continued on as an unmarried couple, and Darren said that because the two were more off than on, pretty much like a fucking light switch, that they remained an unmarried couple. He was very uncertain of her as like a permanent prospect in his life. And although the ra- the relationship was strained, Darren was still really happy about the, the arrival of his son. Danny was born in the same hospital as his dad. I couldn't get the page to turn, sorry. Tanya and Darren were extremely toxic. They fought, Darren would get kicked out, time would pass, and they would attempt reconciliation. This carried on for quite some time. Eventually, the two parted ways after a particularly bad stretch. Darren had been spending time with his son in his new place when Tanya happened by... That's right, right? Mm-hmm. Happened by. I don't I don't speak properly. Well, it's it's one of the it's kind of like what I do to you when I just happen by. Oh, well, yeah, you happened by. She happened by. Both had um had had a few drinks. Mm-hmm. And one thing led to another and Becky Watts was on her way. Yes. Darren was unsure that Becky had even been his and the only reason he knew that Tanya had been knocked up was because he had received a phone call from one of her friends to let him know. Of course, Darren suspected that Tanya had been in bed with more than just him and scoffed at the caller, telling her that the baby was not his. But in 1998, in the summer month of June, Darren got a call that Tanya was having a baby. When he arrived... He took one look at the tiny newborn and fell in love with her. DNA testing was too expensive, and Tanya had pretty much pushed Becky on Darren, threatening to keep Danny away from him if he didn't take Becky, too. Over the course of six to seven months, Darren knew that Becky was his by the look of her. She just looked like him. Darren bonded with his son and daughter during his parenting time, and he paid his child support and kept busy with work. Several several years later, Darren did get the DNA test confirming that he was the father but was never named on the birth certificate, and Becky's last name remained Watts. Around Becky's six-month birthday, this is when Darren would meet his forever bride. Now, Darren had been married for a brief time when he was in his early 20s, but the marriage dissolved within three years. During this time is when he met Angie. Um, He babysat for some friends, and as he was arriving and the other sitter was leaving, it was this woman that he would later rekindle a spark and mary darren right darren described their brief encounter as electric over time they chatted and they got to know each other in passing however during this time he was still a married man darren said that something about angie was just very familiar and special she was kind and had a light naturally beaming from her after darren divorced he often thought about angie but he had heard that she was in a relationship and that she was expecting a child as well Now, this was in 1986, okay? So Darren was like, ah, you know what? This is bad timing. You know, he kind of figured that nothing would happen between the two of them. Um, And with that, because there are some things about Darren that I'm like, no. But there are a lot of things about this man that he really is, like, he's a gentleman. Mm -hmm. Even though he thought about this woman a lot, he was like, you know what? She's expecting a child. She's in a relationship. I am not going to reach out to her that would be inappropriate. Right. So, he had pushed her to the back of his mind, but he had never forgotten about her. Now, this would be the stretch where Danyan... Danyan? Wow, that's cute. (laughs) This is the stretch where Darren was with Tanya and had his two children. 
However, it would be a serendipitous moment that he would run into Angie again many, many years later while he had his kids out for the day. They bumped into each other, and though it, it, he described it as this was, it was like time had stopped. Aww. He had seen Angie throughout the decade and usually out with her little boy. And though he had seen her, he had not like stopped and properly caught up with her. Yeah. The pair was able to catch up and Darren immediately let her know that he was single. But, well, like, like you do. He was pretty disappointed when he found out that she was not. Aww. But she let him know that she was in a rocky relationship. They parted ways, promising to meet up for a drink or lunch. Several months passed, and Darren spotted her coming into a pub he was in. He knew that she was not in a good mood when he, when he spotted her with a friend, but she smiled and joined him for drinks. Angie had gone to that bar looking for him specifically. She admitted that she had just had a big fight with her partner and that he was looking... Oh and that she was looking to leave him. A few weeks later that night, Darren and Angie started seeing one another. Angie and Darren were pretty much jigsaw puzzle pieces. They easily fit together effortlessly in love. <laughs> Angie admitted to Darren that she knew that they were meant to be together and that she knew she would, that they would end up together in the end. Darren was over the moon. He had a beautiful, kind, and radiant woman in his life that loved him and loved his children and made his life so much more complete. However, because of the troublesome relationship that Angie was in previously, she had made the decision to place her son Nathan in the care of her mother, Grandma Margaret. Angie took her son over the weekends and saw him every day. Nathan was 12 when Darren and Angie entered into their relationship and both had decided that it was best for them to stay in the same school and that meant continuing on living with his nan. Nathan never had anything to do with his biological father. This made Nathan especially possessive of his mother and especially because he had been living apart from her. Now, when Darren was introduced to him, he tried to make his best impression, but Nathan was none too thrilled to have this this new man in his mom's life. Darren spent hours roughhousing with Nathan, like playing and trying to gain his trust. Darren said that they were fine after having broken the ice. When Angie met Danny and Becky, both kids were instantly in love. They wanted to sit with her, listen to her read, and her motherly instinct made her easily fall in love with the little kids too. Danny was elated to have an older boy to look up to and play with and he took to being the middle kid very easily. Nathan was leading the two and Becky, who was much too young to go and play with the boys, spent her time with Danji. First we had Dania, now we have Danji. Danji. You like that combined name thing, yeah, I really don't just you? She spent her time with Darren and Angie when it was the parenting time. Darren recalls that Becky was an unusually difficult child who was very demanding of the adults. He said that Becky used to scream for hours on end for what appeared to be no other reason whatsoever than she just needed the attention. They couldn't see that she was ill or that she'd been hurt. She was just fussy. Darren took her to several doctors who advised that there was nothing wrong with her and she seemed, seemed to be just really aggressive. She seemed to be aggressive. She was staking her claim in the house. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not, I didn't, I'm not a mom that way. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't have tiny tots. But some kids, I know, are more difficult than others. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have one. I have one. 
Darren made sure to give Nathan plenty of alone time with his mother, as Nathan seemed to be very jealous of their time together and of any affections that Angie paid to Danny and Becky. Angie insisted that they spend all of their time together as a family. There would be no separating of the bunch. Eventually, Darren moved um, into a home with Angie where all three kiddos came for weekends. Nathan had a bedroom at his nan's house where he lived and a room to himself with Darren and Angie. Danny and Becky shared a room but lived with their mother. The two lovebirds had decided to make a life together and spend the next 15 years dedicating their life to their family. Becky went into her years as a toddler behind, de- oh my god, mm-hmm. developmentally. Darren didn't seem overly concerned about her late blooming, even though she had not discovered or played with her feet by the age of two and didn't speak properly until she was past three. Now, she was slow to crawl and to walk as well. Her tantrums were over the top as well. The family... (laughs) As well. As well. The family had gone on vacation and was asked to leave a show featuring birds of prey because of Becky. A staff member had actually gotten on the intercom and asked for the parents of the very loud toddler to please leave as she had disrupted the show and had irritated the birds. Darren had responded by removing her and throwing a tantrum next to her. This seemed to stun the tot and she stopped, but only just for a moment. How, How fun would that be to be in the middle of a show? That you took the entire family to for them to come over the intercom and be like, um, could the driver of the really loud toddler toddler please vacate before she's attacked by a bird? Mm. Because they think that she's being aggressive. Why would you stay in there is what I want to know. Like, I don't know. I'm, I don't know. I don't like staying in places. If my kids are being loud and annoying, I'm like, all right, let's go because you can't handle yourself. We got to get the fuck out of here. Like you're being a chode. Let's go. The family had taken a vacation together, and while the bunch was searching the beaches for treasures and netting for fish, Becky had begun one of her world-class tantrums. Nothing would console her, nothing would soothe her. Finally, Darren took her out on a little kayak in the water and told her that if she didn't stop, he was going to let her float off into the tide and that she would end up in France. Becky, this sounds 100% like some shit, I would say. Same. Like, I feel like I've done most of this with my child. Like, okay, at this point, if you're not going to stop, I'm just going to let the ocean take you. Godspeed and good luck. Yep. Bye. I've, I've done the tantrum thing where I was, just copied her while she was having a tantrum. Like, I couldn't do anything else. So it was like, what do you want me to do? This is what you look like. I'm just going to make this look bad for everybody. Are we getting anywhere? Now we're both work. doing it. That's where we got. <laughs> That's where this got you. Well, so <laughs> Becky stopped to see if he was serious. Like, oh, she no. stops long enough to look at him and kind of gauge. And when she saw that his drop-dead seriousness had not, like, fizzled into giggles, she stopped. The exchange of custody had become harder and harder between Darren and Tanya. They weren't communicating, and things were incredibly tense. As one may have suspected, Danny and Becky's behavior started to change. The tension, it seemed, had begun reflecting in the kids. It was taking longer and longer for the kids to warm up to their father and Angie. Becky had a really strange habit of sitting on the couch, refusing to move even in the slightest. Like, she thought she would get in trouble if she moved. Danny would be very, very quiet and timid, only warming up towards the last day of their stay. When the children were being returned to Tanya, Becky would actually start weeping and clinging to her father, and Danny would be like, you dragging his feet. You know what I mean? Both were yeah. showing signs of trauma. 
<clears throat> Darren and Angie both noticed that the kids were coming to them dirty, lacking clean or appropriate clothing, and on occasion, Danny had actually been hiding under the table when Darren came to get them. Uh, That's never a good sign. No. Darren had attempted conversation with Tanya about the behaviors, but she shrugged it all off and shot back that maybe it was because they didn't like going with him, um, insinuating that he and his new family were responsible for their behavior. Darren didn't believe that for a second. As he had witnessed the kids running, running to his car to pick up their laughter and such during the visits. Darren had received Becky without footwear on one pickup. And when he attempted to go into Tanya's house to find some, the home was a wreck. He couldn't find any shoes for the tot and Tanya had threatened to phone the police and have him removed. Fearing that he would lose his visit visitation, he left. He and Angie started buying clothes, shoes, and the basic needs for the kids at their house. They would return the kids to the shab in the shabby items that they arrived in because none of the new things were coming back or being used. Darren was upset because he paid child support every month for the kids to have such things and was still... Um, he was still buying more. Yeah. I... That would be annoying. Like, I pay you child support so you can clothe and feed and, right. and you know, and the it, kids. I and... understand if kids need more. Like, right. did they grow out of their stuff? Did they happen to ruin something and it needs replaced? Okay, great. I understand that. But if you give somebody child support and they're still, like, you're going to pick up your kids and they are they look fucking homeless, like they just came from a third world piece of shit country. No offense to third world piece of shit countries. Not that you'll be listening to the podcast, but... And then, in addition, you're buying more stuff outside of whatever child care expenses you're paying, and you send them home in these things, and then when you get them the next weekend... They don't have it. They don't have it. You know what I mean? And yeah. for her to be like, okay, the mom, Tanya, to be like, okay, get out of my house or I'm calling the police. Like, okay, I'm looking for shoes for my daughter. Yeah. I, I feel like I know she has shoes. Can we find them? Well, and whatever, like if you don't want somebody into your home, please have your kids dressed and like ready. Ready to go. Ready the to go The unfortunate out. thing is that I have literally witnessed this exact shit almost, like almost exactly this uh, with somebody that I was dating. Oh God. Yeah. Where like, meh. Anyway. Yeah. Point being, people suck. Well, the increasing disturbing behavior from Becky when being returned to her mother scared Darren, and he finally took to calling the Child Welfare Division. He was advised that they would look into it, but nothing happened. Darren called two more times expecting the same result, but in 2001, he had a visit at, a home, at home from a man named Dave from Child Welfare. He informed Darren that Danny, who was five, and Becky, who was three, had been taken into protective custody from their mother. Angie was panicked in asking if the kids were okay. The welfare, of welfare officer assured them that the kids were fine, but that the home had been reviewed and that there were concerns that the kids were not being cared for while in Tanya's care, and that both children had been placed into a proctor home. At this point, Darren and Angie are immediately upset and they request for the children to come to them. They shouldn't have to be with strangers, right? One would assume that there is a father actively involved. He's got custody, you know, even just the, the little bit that he has. Yeah. But he's there. He, you know what I mean? He's not an absentee parent. Well, they were told by Mr. Dave that they would have an opportunity to apply for full rights, 
Um, but the children at this time would have to go through a thorough investigation and that a determination of what was best for the kids would have to be, you know, it would come at a later date. Darren was assured that he would still be able to exercise his parental rights on the weekend um, and that the kids would still be maintaining some kind of routine. Tanya, on the other hand, would only have supervised, supervised visits until further notice. Darren was still stewing about this the entire time. Um, I, I mean, I think any any parent is going to be like, well, then why don't I have my kids? Like, yeah. I would sit and stew about that mm-hmm. myself. Um, they were, you know, they are, after all, it's my kid. Same thing. They're my kids. Why don't I have them? They were well cared for. There was plenty of room. Darren had a job. And so when he posed this to the welfare agent, they were like, ah, it's not that easy. The court has to be involved and there's going to be hearings and that he would be considered. But if Tanya also applied to like reinstate her parental custodies, that they would have to figure who was the best fit. So even though they were taken from Tanya's care, they assumed that she would also reapply to have her kids be put back in her custody. And the the one thing that the child welfare office said is that because you are not named the father on the birth certificate, that is going to be an issue. Well, because I'm sure he had to go through something to get that put on there. Even though he's taking the DNA test, you have to get the whole thing redone. Right. Um, well, I don't know what it's like over there, but I, I think that's what it is here. Darren was going to have to fight to get his children. Darren and Angie spent month after month fighting for the kids. They endured hearing after hearing until Darren was out of PTO. They were scrutinized, but under a microscope. Explanations as to why Nathan lived with his nan, why Becky didn't have Darren's name, what skills did they possess for parenting. Andrew was required to take a parenting class as well. Much to the surprise of the authorities, she did so well that they contacted her for employment in teaching the class. Mm-hmm. One of Tanya's people reached out to the child welfare and told them Darren was a drunk. Mm-hmm. He then, in turn, had to do a breathalyzer test before he could pick up the children. While Darren admitted he drank a lot as a young man, he was not that person anymore, and though he was irritated with the process, he willingly took the test. He was grilled about his job, friends, his relationship with Angie, literally everything. That would... That, that's got to be able... Like... Dude... Slightly annoying. Well, yeah. I mean, you do what you do so that you can be with your children, right? Yeah. But if any person can call in willy-nilly and be like, oh, you know what? That person had a drinking problem. That person also had a, a penchant for fighting while they were in the in the bars. That person, I'm literally using myself as a, an example. Right. Like, they would use anything against you that you did in your 20s to make it so that you can't be a parent now. Right. That seems silly to me. Yeah. That seems excessive. That's excessive. Danny had started begging to stay with Darren and Angie instead of being returned to the foster family. He said, um, he was was depressed and he wanted to be home. He wanted to be with his dad. Becky had started clinging to Darren and not speaking, you know, because she, she was developmentally delayed. So she wasn't. She wasn't speaking, but she would sit there and, like, wide-eyed sit and nod. Like, yeah, we stay here. 
Darren promised that he was working very hard to bring them both home, and this made Darren even more determined to get them home quickly. Nathan was 14 at the time, and he seemed relatively unbothered at the prospect of no longer seeing Danny and Becky. He didn't seem bothered by the thought of seeing Danny, like, how do I, how do I, how did I fucking try to word this? He didn't seem bothered by the thought of seeing more of Danny, but his face scrunched up and he was, like, really irritated. He was deeply irked at the thought of Becky coming to stay permanently, and he complained that Becky was loud and annoying and obnoxious, all things that a toddler is. Yeah. You know, on top of cute and funny and, you know, mischievous. But he was focused on all of the bad things. Mm -hmm. So what he displayed was basically utter disgust. And his mom and Darren disregarded it as, like, typical teenager behavior. Like, uh, he's got a distaste for the younger sibling. They were 11 years apart. Yeah. So when you look at that... Well, a 14-year-old that lives in peace wants a little 3-year-old that's... Right. Causing hell all the time. Right. I, it's it, it, no, it's like, meh, I get meh. it. So Nathan told Angie that he didn't want her there, and Angie had to go through and assure him that Becky would eventually grow out of all of the behaviors that were obnoxious and annoying. She said that he needed to be more understanding, and it was apparent that Nathan didn't like Becky. So this this started out as a, at a very young age, that he did not care for this little girl. He did not want her around. He didn't want to share his mom. These were all things that he's just like, yeah, fuck off. Like, no, thank you. How about fuck a bunch of that shit? Pretty much. Any time that Becky would go and like crawl into Angie's lap or if they were walking somewhere, if she reached to hold Angie's hand, Nathan would like, he would glare at her. Like he would see this and get upset. Like he'd always been, he'd, he'd always been very jealous of the attention that Angie paid to anybody else, but it was a like it was exponentially worse if it was Becky. Hmm. They believed that Nathan would be very jealous of Danny and Becky coming to live with them full time while he was only there over the weekend. But they proceeded. In two thousand two, the court finally granted full custody to Darren. Becky's first word was Nathan. Darren and Angie had driven over to pick up Nathan from Nan's house, and as he ambled out to the car, Becky looked out the window and said, Nathan, and pointed to him. The car full of her family was stunned. When they told Nathan, he didn't believe them. They tried all day to try to get her to say it again, and she refused. Becky deeply adored Nathan. She wanted so badly to make him happy. So one of the things that um, Nathan did as like one of his hobbies he painted Warhammer figurines, just like Spencer. I know someone who does that. With a paintbrush. Which, Spencer paints <laughs> Infinity now, but he used to spend a lot of time and effort on Warhammer. What's the difference? It's a different game. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's, it's different. <laughs> so, there was a time, like, Danny was very meticulous, right? And he spent a lot of time, a lot of money, and a lot of effort building his armies and painting these figures. Well, the family tried to get involved because Nathan, it's not like painting minis is a family affair. It's not no. like putting together a puzzle. It's not like making um, flower pot snowmen. You know what I mean? Yeah. Anyway, the family had tried unsuccessfully to be involved with the painting of Nathan's minis. So what they did was one night they all got together. They found out how, like, how Nathan wanted these put together and wanted to see, like, if they could all help him, like, paint and build an army. 
Well, um, unfortunately, they all it did was piss him off, right? Because these minis are not cheap, first and foremost. No. And then you've got people who are trying to help you, and they're fucking up. Like, they're putting paint in the wrong places. It's the wrong colors. It doesn't look good. Well, Becky, who was just teeny teeny, like four years old, wanted to help too. And you've seen the pots of paint, right? Mm -hmm. They're like the size of like old 35 millimeter camera holders, film holder. Anyway, fucking, there's going to be some 22 year old that likes, what the fuck is that? What is film? What is film? Google it. You have a phone. (laughs) so um the other thing is so becky also wants to be involved right and she desperately wants to make nathan happy so she grabs a mini and she like dunks it into the paint oh god like you do when you're four yeah and nathan flipped the fuck out and not just like not just like flipped the fuck out was like it, it was catastrophic level 10 nuclear fuck this fuck you like not okay Mm-hmm. From what I gather, okay, I wasn't there. I'm just, I'm reading from news sources, the Daily UK, blah, 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 in this book. But if I know anything about gentlemen that spend the time and money and the effort to paint minis, that is... That's not good. You're not making me love this child anymore. At That's all. not a way to get in their good graces. Let's no, it really just, just put it that way. That was, <laughs> that was poorly configured as a, uh. like a family project, okay? So, Becky didn't really understand the idea behind a blended family. Obviously, she's a little bit. um, Yeah. When I say a little bit, she's a little bit small. She's child. She's little bitty. She had been under the impression that Angie was her mother. And after hearing a particularly heated phone call between Darren and Tanya, Danny asked if he was like, do you really need to speak to my mother that way? And Darren explained that it was none of his business and that she was equally guilty for being disrespectful. Danny had always been very protective of his mother, Tanya, and it made matters worse when Becky started chanting that her mom was better than his mom. Oh, no. Referring to Angie. Danny, who, like, I get it, dude. It's no matter how shitty your parents are, they're still your parents. Okay? Oh, yeah. My kids are ride or die with me. Like, I I do no wrong. And it's, I, I know this from personal experience, okay, with my own biological father like it doesn't matter there's it's still my dad Mm -hmm. um my stepfather raised me and that's when I say my dad I also like I I refer to my stepdad as my dad um so I get it you know what I mean but Danny uh, this really frustrated him he was angry he was over the top and he blasted his little sister who had turned five now and telling her that she was stupid and that his mom was her mom too well Becky was so upset at this notion that she didn't belong to Angie that she screamed out in pain and anguish and ran and hid in her room. That night, Angie slept in Becky's bed with her and had explained that how she has a mom and Angie and two brothers and a dad. She has a bonus mom. Now, Becky was perfectly content the next day having to be t- like having been told that she didn't have to go anywhere and live with anybody else and that it was okay for her to have more than one mom. She's five. Like, take it easy on her. Things are weird. Okay. Now, the family never had a lot of money, and they didn't travel abroad or have fancy cars. I disagree with the fancy car thing. However, I'll get to that. Darren drove a Range Rover. Oh, shit. That's a fancy car. To me, that's a fancy car. Now, I don't know. That's an old-ass Range Rover. I don't know if that was like, um, like, Homeboy had a Range Rover clear up until, like, 
2015. So I don't know if they're less expensive over there, but over here, those are nice fucking cars. Yeah. Okay. Just saying. Um, they didn't have like a ton of money, but they had each other and that was enough for Darren and Angie. They brought, they bought themselves a small camper and they took trips into the company into the country and to the beaches where the kids could play and stayed busy while the adults finally got some well-deserved grown-up alone time. What is that? Yeah, right. Overall, this should be a very Brady Bunch story. Well, it's not. Spoiler alert. They're coming from everywhere. It's not. (laughs) It's just not. Becky was a tormented little girl and teenager. She had been described as... Quote, like a tornado, a hurricane, and a sunbeam all at once. That's a mouthful. So there's there's a couple of stories that were in the book that I just wanted to touch bases on. She was a huge animal person. She was very much like me. Um, if I was going to be happy, I need to be surrounded by things with fur. Um, and in my case, some things without. She, like, begged for animals, whether it was, she had, like, a variety of little hamsters and guinea pigs and rabbits, and then she graduated to bigger animals like kitty cats and shit. Mm -hmm. Um, She was very outdoorsy. She wanted to be outside no matter what, and if there was a reason for her to pull on her muck boots, which over there they call them wellies. Oh. But if she had any reason whatsoever to pull those boots on, she was like, fucking money, let's go outside. And that was, that was kind of her M.O., She was a water baby. She loved to be in the water so much that at one point in time, her dad at the home, like they didn't live in a great big fancy house, but they had a good sized backyard. He went and dug her and laid her a pool. She sounds so much like Addie. I know, right? The other thing was that she was one of those kids that was very demanding and did so also in such a way. Addison. Uh, also, Addison. <laughs> um, actually kind of looks like Addison. I'll bring the book. Oh, shit. Um, there was one night where they had put together dinner, and it wasn't uncommon for Aaron and... Aaron? It wasn't uncommon for Darren and Angie to let the kids have dessert, like pudding and stuff, mm-hmm. right? Well, they hadn't been to the store, and they were running low on groceries, and what's one of the first things that happens to go? Dessert. Of course. Right? So she finishes her dinner, right? And she's sitting there expectantly awaiting the delivery of her pudding. And she's like, uh, so dessert? And he's like, right, that's going to have to wait until tomorrow. I didn't get to the store. Um, you can have pudding tomorrow. And she throws a goddamn fit, right? So she's like, but I ate all my dinner. Hence dessert. (laughs) And he's like, yeah, not going to happen. So she throws a fit, right? In this fit, she decides to alert her father to her intention of letting child services know. Oh, God. That uh, he is withholding dessert from a deserving child. (laughs) Um, At which point he was like, be my guest. Here's the phone. Why don't you call child welfare and let them know that you're starving to death and that your father didn't give you any pudding. Um, And all of these little tiffs and fights and arguments eventually just dissolved into like hugs, kisses, and giggles, Mm -hmm. right? That's the kind of level of little girl she was. I feel like I have one of those. You do have have one one of of those. She battled crippling shyness in primary school and could not make friends. She only had two friends and one was a cousin that was three years older than her. Angie often had to stay and volunteer to help just to get Becky to stay at school. God, that sounds so much like fucking Addie. 
And while Becky only had a few friends, she was very loyal to both of them. Nathan was then 16 and started babysitting his siblings to earn some pocket change, and Darren and Angie were glad to have some adult time together. Both parents were very proud of the effort that Nathan had put into being a good big brother. Primary, flew, primary school flew by, and by the time it was secondary school, Becky's only friend, Hope, was headed to a different school than Becky was. This proved to be an incredibly gutting, incredibly gutting for Becky. She had a hard time meeting kids. She didn't know how to make friends, start up a conversation, or introduce herself. She had, she had no skill whatsoever. Because of this, Becky started to get bullied by her schoolmates for everything and anything that they could get her with. Her weight, her looks, her voice. They tortured her daily. All right, that part's not like Addie. She's the friendliest little shit you've ever met. Well, and I'm starting to wonder if a lot of her um, her lack of social skill wasn't because she was developmentally delayed as a baby. So when you don't walk, talk, play, interact, um, on top of the fact that I don't think her mom took her to the play, um, like play place, no. to the park, to the wherever you go, like didn't have her in tumbling, didn't take her, you know what I mean? Yeah. That was the reason I took Addie to tumbling to try to get her to interact. So I think that that, <clears throat> I think a lot of those activities are, um, personal opinion. I have, I have nothing but personal opinion on this because I, I don't, I didn't have little kids. Um, my kids came to me at eight and 10 and they were already wiping their own asses. So, um, but I think it helps a lot. Like little kids learn mm -hmm. how to interact. They learn how to talk to each other, how to play with each other. If by the age of two, she still isn't talking. Like how do you. Right. Even if it's a little bit, you know what I mean? If at like a year, 18 months, she's not like walking and checking shit out. Like she wasn't even investigating her feet. So That's weird. I said it was weird too when I was reading the book and I brought it up to Spencer and I was like, how old was Logan when Logan found his feet? And he's like, I don't know. Couple months. And he's like, why, what, what do you mean when he found his feet? Like babies are always holding their feet. And I'm like, but are they? So I, I'm, he's like, I don't know. Like, um, as soon as he was like strong enough to lift his legs to his hands, you know, mm -hmm. same thing with Paige. So for me, if a kid is a year old, and not even fiddling with your feet yet. Yeah. That yeah. just seems kind of... So I wonder if a lot of her being able to make friends and like... Because if you've never been taught, you know, it's one of those skills that when you're put in front of another human being, what do you do? You just stare at them until they make a sudden movement and freak you the fuck out? Like... Well, and if they're not doing anything to try to further that um, exploration, like I was always promoting it. Like, oh, look, it's your feet, it's this, it's that. You know what I mean? Like, stimulating their little brains. If you're not even going to do that, then why are you going to try to get them to interact with other kids? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like... No, I'm saying. No, I'm saying. No regrets. No regrets. So, Becky was coming home in a flood of tears literally every single afternoon. She was constantly overanalyzing herself. Why was... Why am I so Aww. fat? Why am I so ugly? Why do people hate me? These are things she would ask her dad. Aww. Darren and Angie were really floored by this because Becky, and, and I'm going to co-sign this, this kid's fucking, like, you have no business being that cute. 
she was a beautiful little kid. She was like, and she grew up into being a very beautiful young girl, you know? And so for, for her to continually come home and be like, why am I not good enough? Why do I not have, you know, why am I fat? Why am I this? And they're like, what the fuck? You know? Yeah. I don't, I'm, I'm not seeing it. Darren talked about how she was not fat, nor was she even close to chubby. She had the perfect amount of what he called puppy fat on her petite little frame. But no matter how much Angie and Darren told her how perfect she was, it was, it wasn't enough. And quite frankly, it wasn't their approval that she was seeking. Mm -mm. So nothing that they said would console her. Angie had gone to the school and tried to get help from, from the teachers and the admins. They had promised that they would keep a closer eye on Becky and that they would keep her safe. They would call at the first sign of trouble, but still, every day, Becky was coming home completely destroyed. Darren and Angie took to the school for help, and the exact intended purpose happened. Their interventions made it fucking worse. So this was actually something that, like, Darren had actually been worried that this exact thing would happen. Like... She would come home so fucked up one day that they would have to go to the school and get involved. And when, because kids are ruthless little cunts, and I know this because I I see it with, like, I've seen it firsthand with my own children, um, when they realize that parents have gotten involved or they realize that people are going to take action, they will fucking, they will punish their victim even uh-huh. more. So the exact thing happened. Anytime a teacher was told or witnessed any of the bullying, these nasty little shits responsible for torturing Becky would make it 10 times worse. They had vowed to make her life a living hell. And what they vowed, they fucking, they made good on their, on their promise. This is where Becky started eating less. She only wanted low-calorie, low-fat, pre-made food. She had essentially doubled her parents' food bills, and Darren was stunned the first time that he saw she's got this little ready-made diet meal, South Beach, Slim Fast, Weight Watchers, whatever, and she hadn't even finished it, and she was scraping it into the trash. So... At this time, she's only 11 years old, and this is just the tip of the iceberg. When he goes to her and he's like... What the hell? Like we spend extra money every month for you to have these, and she's and you're throwing and it you're away. Not like, eating them all. You're, you're not eating it. She's like, Dad, I'm just full. I'm just full, and you know you need to understand that you have to incorporate other food. Like you cannot just live off of microwave Weight Watcher shit. And she's like, That is my dog protesting. <laughs> um and Jesus, get it out. She's upset about this. She's pupset. Don't waste food. Pupset. You don't yeah. waste her food. So, you know, she's like, that, she, you know, you can't just live off these. I can. I can. That's what the commercials tell me. You know what I mean? And she's 11 years old. So God Damn. knows. Like what you see and what you hear on any sort of media, you know, television, commercials, radio, this is going to work for me. Yeah. But this is also just the very tippy tip, tip, tip. Giving you the tip. Just the tip. Of the iceberg, which we're going to cover next time. Because I had started this episode, ladies and gentlemen. So I had started writing this right before my father passed away. And um, it took me a minute to um, sit down and like handle my fucking emotions and process myself. And be able to focus. Um, so I even went to work. Like I 
went to work the day of my father's funeral and I was only there for a couple of hours. I took two days off. I found out that my father died Sunday. I was back to work Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, went to work Saturday. And I was there for a few hours before my coworker was like, why the fuck are you in? Like, why are you here? Like, you should be at home. And so he was like, we don't have anything going on. Go, like, get out. Um, I took two days off literally just to prep my father's funeral and get some things done. And if I hadn't been scheduled to be in a training thing that required me to be there both Monday and Tuesday, I would have went to work Tuesday. I needed desperately not to have to face real life. Yeah. Um, Because that's what I do. Avoidance, you know, and I... I, Avoidance is key. I get after my kids for the exact same behavior because I'm like, you're being a fucking coward. You know, handle your shit. You can't run from things. But I did. And when I put together this episode, I literally had eight pages worth of shit. And I was like, well, this is going to have to be what it is for now because I can't, I, I just, I didn't even have it in me to proceed. 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 But just so you guys know, I have part two coming up and it is very, very good. And then part three and then part four. Yay. So in the meantime, let's, uh, let's not be shitty to one another. Mm-hmm. Don't make fun of little kids. Don't be a bully. For real. Unless it's on the internet on a yard sale page. Yeah. And uh, stay Stay out out of chalk lines. lines. Goodbye. Goodbye.